Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Hey, what's up, everybody? Chris Trapasso here, and welcome into another episode of the Prospect Podcast. Draft grades continuing to roll on deep into May. Going to go through every division, have a few more to go, and all the AFC West fans, Chiefs, Broncos, Raiders, and Chargers, this episode is for you. And as usual, no messing around. I'm getting right to it today. I'm going to start with the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, baked into what the Kansas City Chiefs did in the 2021 draft is that huge Orlando Brown trade that happened about, what, a week or 10 days before the draft? It was all kind of a blur leading up to late April for me. So they move back, essentially, from 31 to 58, and the cost of that, or that's what they paid for to get Orlando Brown. There was a a mid-round pick thrown in there, but I thought that was a tremendous decision by their very smart GM, Brett Veach, one of the youngest, one of the best GMs in the NFL, said, okay, we'll move back 27 spots, end of round one to end of round two, and you give us Orlando Brown. We're making an, a perennial AFC contender, the Ravens, not as good. We're, we're worsening that roster, and all we're doing is moving back to 58 overall. And with that pick, directly from that trade of Orlando Brown, the Chiefs selected Nick Bolton at 58 overall, the linebacker from Missouri. I gave that grade a B- minus in real time. I think next to Willie Gay, he's going to be pretty good. He's the the perfect complement to Willie Gay. They're both compact, thick linebackers that have pretty good range. Willie Gay is the much more explosive and rangy athlete. But Nick Bolton is your classic middle linebacker that he can take on blocks pretty well uh, for being a little bit smaller, having shorter arms, very instinctive. He reads his keys against the run, understands when it's play action pretty well. Not a great coverage defender, although in 2019 he did make some plays in coverage. I think he's just going to be best in the box, between the tackles, making plays against the run. And to have someone as long and athletic next to him as Willie Gay, who was injured for most of his rookie season, I think uh, really bodes well for his future in the NFL with the Kansas City Chiefs. I've been a big proponent of, hey, not picking linebackers in the first round because it's so difficult. They trade back. They get Orlando Brown in the process. And in this trade, they get Nick Bolton at 58. I'm completely fine with that. He is a starter from day one. Don't be surprised if he 
compiles a lot of statistics for the Kansas City Chiefs. Although I do believe when healthy, Willie Gay will be the best linebacker and the biggest playmaker at the second level of that defense. Then at 63 overall, their original pick from being the Super Bowl runner-up, they picked Creed Humphrey from Oklahoma. I gave that a B plus. I loved that pick. Uh, he's a little, he's a good athlete, but he's a, a tick stiff out of the gate, I think. But everything else about Creed Humphrey's game screams high floor. He's got a lot of power, very experienced in the Big 12 at Oklahoma. I'm a little bit concerned that maybe playing center in that wide open offense, protecting Kyler Murray, protecting Spencer Rattler, two athletic runners at the quarterback position, there weren't necessarily defensive lines on a routine basis that were pinning their collective ears back and just trying to get after the quarterback. There was a lot of contain on the edge and I think at the nose tackle spot. And there was a lot of quarterback spying as opposed to trying to get after the quarterback in a traditional sense. But I liked the fact that he uh, had a pretty clean slate in terms of allowing pressure and that he was a wrestler in high school. We always talk about that in the trenches. It seems like a lot of these centers and guards do have wrestling backgrounds. He understands leverage. He plays low. There's a good anchor to his game. I don't know if he's ever going to be an all pro, but I think he can make a couple pro bowls. And the biggest thing about this that's why I, I liked it and gave it a B plus protect Patrick Mahomes. That is the key. That's the uh, philosophy of this offseason for the Chiefs to bring in Orlando Brown, sign Joe Tooney, draft Creed Humphrey. They pick someone later in the sixth round that I'm going to talk about. It's another offensive lineman. They understand like, hey, you know, Patrick Mahomes can do crazy things on the football field and it's transcended the position. But let's not take it for granted and put him in a Russell Wilson type situation where we're not going to invest in the offensive line. So I'm glad that they did that. I thought the Nick Bolton pick wasn't necessarily a need. Maybe they just fell. Hey, this is the highest player on our board by a wide margin. Uh, I guess at least four spots higher than Creed Humphrey. I wouldn't have hated if they flipped these around, but they get those two Nick Bolton and Creed Humphrey starters, relatively high floors, maybe not amazing players in the NFL, but good ones for the Kansas City Chiefs offense and defense. Then in the fourth round, Joshua Kando from Florida State. He is your quintessential raw freak of an athlete. He's long. He's like 6'5", 6'6", 260. And I like the fact that there is some power in his hands. He will shock offensive linemen just from that initial point of attack thrust into the middle of their pads. But he's not great with his hands. He's not someone that has an uh, array of pass rushing plans to get after the quarterback. And he was a monster recruit at Florida State and never really lived up to the hype. He Because he is pretty tall, he rushes high. Uh, so to sustain that power or to convert speed to power, you don't really see that a lot. But that initial jolt is pretty deafening at times. Uh, and at 144 overall for a team that could use some more edge rushing help, I'm completely fine. With that pick, I, I gave it a C plus. So I guess in real time, I, I didn't love it um, because I'm not the biggest fan of the raw specimens. I do think athleticism does indicate that a player has maybe a higher floor than someone that's too small and, and just does not have NFL athleticism. But I think 
in general, you're not, it's going to be hard to coach pass rushing moves and marrying the hands with the feet. But at 144, not terrible. Noah Gray from Duke, their next pick in round five at 162 overall. I had him graded as, I think, like my number six tight end. This tight end class, I was not a fan of it after Kyle Pitts, of course. Watched the Duke offense, and I was like, man, who is this H-back type tight end that just keeps getting open underneath? And you could see him running good routes, very good short area quickness. That was Noah Gray. And there wasn't a lot of pre-draft hype for him. I was glad to see him go this early. That I, I It made me feel better about my evaluation of him, uh, that I actually really liked him. I, do I think that he has... Uh, crazy separation skill down the field no he's not uh that type of speed specimen but at the tight end spot i mean if you can just get open from one yard to 10 yards down the field on a regular basis uh then you can make a living in the nfl he was actually my number five tight end behind kyle pitts pat fryermuth revin jordan hunter long and then noah gray I was in the minority that wasn't crazy high on Tommy Tremble. And a lot of people that were big fans were like, oh, Tommy Tremble, look at his pro day. He's a great athlete. So I get that. Noah Gray at 6'3 and 240. He ran 4'6'2, which is actually pretty fast, 84th percentile for the tight end spot. Had a three cone of 6.9 seconds, 90th percentile, vertical jump, 73rd percentile. So he, he can get open underneath. And I think to have someone that he can learn from in Travis Kelsey, who to me is the best route running tight end in the NFL. I think George Kittle is a little bit better after the catch. He can give you more because he's so amazing with his contact balance. But in terms of separating, running a legitimate route that will lose a linebacker, lose a safety, lose a corner, that's Travis Kelsey. So I think at 162 overall to add some depth, uh, with Travis Kelsey now into his 30s at the tight end spot, I really like that Noah Gray pick, gave that a B plus. But then their last two picks, it's like, okay, they're having a pretty good draft at this point. Cornell Powell, the wide receiver from Clemson at 181 overall in the fifth round, gave this an A-. minus. I really, really like this selection for a team that, yes, has all these weapons, but they did lose Sammy Watkins. And we saw that at some points in the season, and this is a little bit of a nitpick because the Chiefs offense was very good. Uh, and will be very good as long as Patrick Mahomes is the quarterback. There were times where it was a little bit Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey heavy. I mean, those two can lift. They can carry the weight. They're, they're heavy lifters. But at this point, because they are getting a tick older, not a bad idea to not just go with a separator underneath of the tight end spot, but then pick someone that adds a new element to your offense, that the Chiefs have solely been about speed, 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 quickness, quickness. But with Cornell Powell... They get someone that is bigger and muscular, over six foot, 204 pounds, long arms, huge hands, 10 inch hands, ran four, five, three. And by Kansas City Chiefs standards, that's pretty slow. But he had a 36 and a half inch vertical, a broad jump in the 88th percentile among wide receivers. And what he brings to this offense is a vertical element that's not predicated on how fast he is. He is tremendous in the back shoulder game, tracking the football, high pointing it. And yes, he can rebound the football, use his leaping ability and his chiseled frame to out muscle cornerbacks. 
And I think Patrick Mahomes, we haven't really seen that. I mean, a, a little bit, uh, I, I guess, with like Demarcus Robinson at times, Sammy Watkins in the Super Bowl two years ago. But to have that back shoulder element down the sideline when you have Travis Kelsey over the middle, when you have Tyree Kill doing a bunch of different things, uh, using him in motion, running him down the seam or the opposite side of the field, to have a bigger body that can win against bigger corners on a consistent basis down the sideline or even down the seam, tracking the football, boxing out, that's a new element that we haven't seen during this Patrick Mahomes era. So Cornell Powell definitely brings that. The one concern with him is that he's a little bit older. He was 23 in his final season at Clemson. That was really his breakout year. But, and he's going to turn 24 in October. So he's a pretty old prospect. But to say, hey, he, he didn't break out until his senior year, there could be a little bit of a caveat here. At Clemson, during his career there, in front of him, Mike Williams, Hunter Renfro, T. Higgins, Justin Ross, Travis Etienne in the pass game out of the backfield, Amari Rogers, who goes in the third round to the Packers. So it wasn't like he was on a team that had no good receivers and he couldn't separate himself among that group. He had a bunch of NFL players at receiver. So I think that probably contributed to the fact that Cornell Powell didn't have his breakout year until his senior season. But I, I really thought that was smart drafting by a Chiefs team that doesn't have a ton of holes. And then at 226 overall in the sixth round, they picked Trey Smith, the offensive lineman from Tennessee, who before the season was like getting first round buzz. Like he was, and throughout the season, I, I was putting him in the first and second round in a lot of mock drafts. When I watched his film along with the rest of the interior offensive linemen, I didn't see a, a first, second, or even third rounder. I had him graded actually a lot lower. Um, but what's interesting about him, we know he's super experienced. We know he's big and strong. He's very close to being NFL strong. Six five and a half, three twenty one, with almost thirty four inch arms. So he's really built like a tackle, and did play tackle at Tennessee um, early in his career. Played center too, but he's kind of settled in at the guard position since he's been healthy. And for the offensive guard spot, he tested like a freak athlete. Forty yard dash, eighty fifth percentile. Vertical jump, thirty one inches, eighty fifth percentile. Broad jump, ninety fourth percentile. Three cone drill. 93rd percentile, and then he benched 32 reps, 88th percentile. So I think there is some concern about his stiffness and the fact that he is aware of stunts and blitzers, but oftentimes can't get there. I, I don't think he plays to that athleticism, but that pro day really stands out. And maybe the Tennessee pro day helped him out a little bit with some of those numbers. They couldn't help out with the vertical. And they couldn't help out with the bench press. So I think someone that is that experienced in the SEC, kind of a masher to add just depth. I don't think, obviously, Trey Smith is penciled into one of the starting spots. But, hey, round six, more protection for Patrick Mahomes. That's what everything should be about for this team is adding to that offense, really, for Patrick Mahomes at wide receiver, at tight end, offensive line. And that's what they did in this draft. So overall... I really like what the Chiefs did. I'm going to give them a B plus, A minus, especially even though like I, I weigh obviously the later picks, not as much as, as the early picks. Nick Bolton, B minus, Creed Humphrey, B plus, Kane Doe, C plus, eh, Noah Gray, B plus, thought that was solid. I liked what they did late. I think they got great value with Noah Gray, Cornell Powell, and Trey Smith. So the rich gets richer with the Kansas City Chiefs draft class. Good job by Brett Veach. They're, I think, pretty awesome GM. 
Move now to the Denver Broncos. Back-to-back years, making a ton of picks. I love their class last year. They started this year with Patrick Sertan over Mac Jones and more egregiously, in my opinion, over Justin Fields. And this is coming from someone that still believes in Drew Locke. Drew Locke was my number one quarterback in the 2019 draft class. And I think we need to see him with Cortland Sutton for more than a half like we saw last year and to not have a bunch of rookies out there that he's throwing passes to before we really can judge, is he someone that can be a playoff caliber quarterback? He definitely has to take a step or two in his third season. But because of the positional value uh, and because I'm not someone that will just completely hang on to a draft evaluation, luck hasn't been that great. And you're sitting there at number nine overall. You don't have to really, they didn't have to trade up for either one of those two quarterbacks. I would have picked Justin Fields in a heartbeat. They go Patrick Sertan and that's the problem with it. In my opinion that I, they, the alternative was Patrick Sertan, which for a lot of people, the most NFL ready corner outside uh, can play on the perimeter. NFL bloodlines learned from his dad from when he was a kid. I didn't see a top tier prospect. I think the name recognition and the Alabama Jersey helped him quite a bit. And the fact that, yes, in press, he's very calm, cool, and collected. I, I wrote that a bunch of times with him, that he's not lunging. He's not getting out of position. He understands he, that he can trust his feet uh, and to keep his eyes on the hips of the wide receiver. I don't think he's a great athlete. He's explosive. And there's a difference. He's explosive. Change of direction skill, because he's a little bit taller, is not great. And I thought at times at Alabama against the top competition, he had problems locating the football. And those are two big concerns. If you're a cornerback that has trouble staying with separators and then when the ball's arriving, you have some trouble finding it, I don't think it's it's a huge area of weakness to Sertan's game, but I don't think it's a strength. So to pick him at number nine over a quarterback, didn't like it. Then in round two, they trade up in front of the Miami Dolphins, which I understand because the, there was a lot of speculation that the Dolphins were going to pick a running back. They trade up, send a couple picks to Atlanta for Javante Williams, who I really, really liked as a running back prospect, but I only gave it a B because I, I don't think at 35 overall with Melvin Gordon there that you necessarily needed to trade up for a running back at 35 overall. Javante Williams is good. I really think he's good, and he's going to be a good back. But is that really what a team should be doing in 2021? Probably not. But his running style, he's a slasher. Then he, he can jump cut. He's got crazy power, contact balance. Not a home run hitter, but will hit some a lot of 20 to 40-yard runs because he's just very elusive and has is the total package at the running back spot. Pretty good receiver, too. I don't know if, if the trade-up was worth it. So I gave that a B. At number 98 overall, Quinn Miners gave that a B+. Plus. He can play anywhere up front. He was a tackle in college. They tried him out at Garden Center at the Senior Bowl and had a dominant week of practice. And what's weird is that like his D3 film at Wisconsin Whitewater, I thought was good. You could tell like he stood out because he was so big and he was punishing people and he's a good athlete. But in pass protection as a tackle, I saw him like whiffing and off balance and getting over aggressive, getting out over his feet. So maybe it's best if he is playing on the interior. And Lloyd Cushenberry... Uh, one of their picks last year did not really have that good of a rookie season coming from LSU. So they have the LSU national title or the national champion on the interior. And now they have Quinn Miners from the D3 ranks, but he's definitely going to add more physicality to that front. And that offensive line got better. 
last year. And even though we're, we're obviously not going to put Drew Locke in the same category as Patrick Mahomes, it's smart, I think, to invest in your quarterback by investing in your offensive line early. So to get him as a top 100 pick, a little bit early, uh, but I, I thought that was a very sensible choice um, for the Broncos. Then Baron Browning at 105, a few picks later in round three. I gave this a B minus. He was a late bloomer at Ohio State after being a big recruit. Uh, he's thick. He looks like an NFL linebacker. He's got pretty light feet for being this big hulking second level defender. His range is pretty good and he's a good blitzer. I just didn't see anything that really stood out about his game. I think he's okay in coverage. I don't think he's amazing, but that group did need some more linebacker help. After that, going on to the day three picks, will be a little quicker. Caden Stearns, very explosive, very experienced at Texas. The pro day, uh, I think, aligns with what he showed on film. That Watching him plant and drive on the football deep down the field, you were like, wow, like this guy has juice. Almost six foot, 202 pounds, so he's got good size. 42-inch vertical, 4-4-1, a broad jump in the 89th percentile, and even a three-cone drill under the seven second threshold. I didn't see kind of similar to Baron Browning, a true standout trait. I thought his instincts were good, not great in coverage. And he was a good, but not super reliable tackler, but very productive at Texas was another big recruit, um, was kind of the alpha in that defense for a while. And even though with you, even though you have Justin Simmons, it's not a bad idea uh, to keep fortifying that safety group. Kareem Jackson's still there. Uh, and I think in round five at 152 overall, I'm fine with it. What's funny is right after that, at 164 overall, the Broncos picked Jamar Johnson from Indiana. I gave this an A minus. I would have picked Jamar Johnson in front of Caden Stearns and in front of Baron Browning. He's explosive too, and his ball tracking skills I thought were outstanding at Indiana. Not just in the Ohio State game where he really made a name for himself, uh, giving Justin Fields fits down the field. But just the rest of his film, I thought when the ball was arriving, he could contort his body, find it, either intercept it or get his hands on it, would run the alley on those, those outside runs from the free safety spot, lay the lumber, a little bit of a highlight reel tackler in that he can really deliver a hit, but then he'll also miss some tackles because he's diving at the feet at the lower half of the ball carrier, but I loved his range and it's all about range and coverage ability at the safety spot in today's NFL. I don't know if Jamar Johnson can cover the slot. I don't know if he's that twitchy, but in terms of explosion and just natural ability to make a play on the football, he's better than Caden Stearns. So to get that eight picks later, that type of player I thought was very good uh, drafting by the Broncos. Then later, some of these sixth and seventh rounders, very interesting group here. Seth Williams is one of the better rebounders, just classic rebounder. He's not 230. He's like 6'3", 210. But his splash plays at Auburn were all rebounds down the field, body contortions near the sideline, high-pointing it, out-muscling a corner. But I don't know how physical he is despite being 6'3", and 210. I think he's a little lanky, needs to add more power, off the line of scrimmage throughout his route where he's going to get bumped a little bit. And then even at the catch point, JC Horn had the best cornerback game of any corner in this class in that Auburn game. And he dominated Seth Williams. I don't think he's a great separator, but we're talking about the sixth round here. 
And maybe he can learn from another big body in Cortland Sutton, who is very physical and has an early in his career before he got hurt last year, made a name for himself as one of the best young high point types in the NFL. The difference Sutton's a little bigger and Sutton is sudden and is great after the catch. There is a little bit of juice after the catch with Seth Williams, but almost at 220th pick, it was worth it for the Broncos. I gave that a B minus. Then in the seventh round, Kerry Vincent Jr. I was surprised he was still there. I really was. To me, he was the best pure slot corner in this class. Like, don't try to play him outside. Don't try to play him at safety. Let him just man the slot. He has the feet, the tackling ability, the ball skills to be a lockdown slot corner. And that is very, very difficult to find. And I think like the, I'm, I know we have a new GM in Denver, George Payton, but it, it feels like their scouting staff is like in sync with me because they picked Michael Ojemudia last year, who I really liked. Uh, they signed as an undrafted free agent, Asang Bassi from Wake Forest, who I really, really liked. And he actually played and contributed and made some splash plays as a rookie. Kerry Vincent Jr., I would have picked like on day two. I, I, I thought he was fantastic. I don't know why he lasted this long. Uh, was an opt out in 2020, but that shouldn't have really mattered. I thought on that national title winning team at LSU, uh, he was a standout player in that secondary with um, the names are completely escaping me right now. The LSU corners that we've just seen with even Derek Stingley, who's going to be a first round pick next year. Um, I thought Kerry Vincent was awesome. He's five, nine, almost five, 10, 185, perfect size to play in the slot. He ran four, three, nine. Had a vertical of 35 and a half inches, 44th percentile, not great. Only eight reps on the bench, but you're a slot corner. You're 5'9", 185. It's all about quickness. And I saw that from him. I saw plant and drive, short area quickness, sustained speed, of course, with that 4'3", down the field. And he is very natural playing the football in the air. Last two picks, Jonathan Cooper. I liked his film from the Senior Bowl. Went back to watch him at Ohio State. And he's he's active. He's all over the field high motor, pretty good pass rushing moves, not overly powerful, uh, but he understands that he needs to use his hands to get around the corner. I think he's a little bit limited athletically, but in the seventh round, definitely worth a flyer. When you can learn from Von Miller and Bradley Chubb on that defensive line, definitely worth it. And then Marquise Spencer, Marquis Spencer, excuse me, uh, interesting guy that he's six four, 300 pounds. Can you play on the edge? Does he play on the inside? I think he's going to be that versatile type for them. Really wasn't on the draft radar, but this was the sixth to last pick in the draft. Uh, overall, I think the Broncos, again, I like that they made a lot of picks. The more picks you make, the more good players you're going to ultimately find over time. Uh, and I like some of the value picks, especially Kerry Vincent in round seven. Uh, Quinn Miners was a very logical pick um, at 98 overall, but the first two picks... Uh, Patrick Sertan over a quarterback and Javante Williams, great player, great prospect, but trading up for a running back at 35 overall. I don't know if they needed that. I'm going to give the Broncos B minus B minus to B somewhere in that range. Solid, not amazing. Uh, but I do think they did enough to really see what they have in drew lock in 2021, his third season in the NFL. Let's go now to the Las Vegas Raiders. Mike Mayock, John Gruden running the show in Vegas. And the way I'm just looking at these first two picks, 
Pretend they pick Trayvon Merrig at 17 overall and Alex Leatherwood at 43. So I, I gave the Alex Leatherwood pick a C plus in real time, like snap opinion. Like I, I'm giving these picks or these opinions on Twitter in, in my thread every year uh, in the first round, like snap judgment right away. I actually liked it more as the draft progressed. And if you want to look at it just in a vacuum, yeah, it was too early. I had him graded in early in the second round. A lot of people had him mid to late second round, and this was a gigantic reach. But he was the one player that even though my I had him graded like in the 30s or like number 40 overall, I was like, I, I felt like I should have had him graded higher. Like the opposite end of the spectrum was like, I didn't really like Kadarius Tony, but then when I plugged in like each individual category into my grading system, he came out at like 33 overall. I'm like, oh, Alex Otherwood felt the opposite. It was like, this guy's film is pretty good. He's a good pass protector. He's big, he's long, he's strong, he's athletic. Uh, there's not a lot of clear-cut losses on film in the SEC over the past two years. Why do I, I don't know why I, I didn't have him squarely graded inside the first round and they needed a right tackle. And I know it's all BPA, 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 but he's pretty good and he's going to play right tackle immediately. Maybe there'll be a little bit of a transition because he was going from left tackle to right tackle with Colton Miller there on the left side in Vegas. But I think Alex Otherwood's going to be a good player. So C plus was maybe a little harsh live. And then after they went Trayvon Merrick after it, I felt better about it because I'm like, that was a first round prospect. That was my number one safety. Everyone's number one safety besides the NFL. Uh, and someone that I had graded like in the top 15. I think he's a playmaker. He's the guy, Trayvon Merrig from TCU, the safety, number 43 overall, who I, I think the Raiders believe they were getting with Jonathan Abram, who was strictly a downhill, run-thumping, old-school hard hitter that did not have good coverage ability, and that's what's happened. That's I mean, he's got hurt as a rookie, but last year that's the type of safety he was. Merrig's the opposite. He can do everything. He can cover the slot range from the deep middle, roam the middle of the field at the intermediate level, make plays, very instinctive, has the athleticism, and just the production and the films that showing him make plays on the football that Jonathan Abram didn't. So I gave that an A+, and I'm sticking to that. That was fantastic. Then Malcolm Kuntz, at 79 overall, a lot of people were like, edge rusher from the Mac at 79? I watched him late, and there was like a group of five or six edge rushers that I wanted to watch after I watched like the first 10 or 15 and I watched Coons and I was blown away for one reason. He is so bendy. He is extremely flexible, bend, dip, flattening, whatever you want to call it to the quarterback. I thought he was fantastic getting around the edge. His outside speed rush, tall, powerful offensive tackles are going to have problems getting their hands on him and pushing him either past the quarterback or just stopping him in his tracks. Like 6'3", 245, 250, he's a smaller type, uh, needs to probably put some weight and power to his, or, and add some power to his game. But watch out for Malcolm Coons because I think he didn't get to test because he was hurt. He was at the Senior Bowl, uh, and we didn't get to see him there either. But I'm telling you, this is someone that at 6'2 250, 81-inch wingspan, almost 34-inch arms. So he's long. Some pass rushing moves too. I, I think he could be someone that has a Max Crosby type rookie season or, or year two coming from the Mac, uh, just a refined pass rusher. Then after that, the next pick, they had back-to-back -back selections. 
Divine Diablo from Virginia Tech. To me, after Jeremiah Usu-Koromoa, he was the best safety linebacker hybrid in this class. Legitimate 6'3", 225, long, super experienced, very instinctive in coverage, pretty good athleticism. I don't think he's a crazy twitched up athlete. He's not Derwin James 2.0. He's not Cam Chancellor 2.0. But I like that he was able to make some pretty smooth plays on the football at the intermediate level. And he's just great against the run. He's very instinctive, can beat blockers, can avoid them. Sure tackler. You're just getting a high floor player there at number 80 overall. And they, I mean, maybe to say, okay, he's another safety. And I was a little, a little bit concerned about that and wondering what the idea was. But if he plays linebacker, and that's what the Raiders have come out and said, that Diablo is going to be a linebacker, that makes a lot of sense because that group, needs work at the linebacker spot. It will be nice, though, for them to get back Corey Littleton, who they signed last year but was injured a bunch. Premier coverage linebacker. And they're getting another linebacker safety type in Divine Diablo at number 80 overall. It's a, a more of a progressive choice at the safety linebacker spot than picking Jonathan Abram, who really didn't show anything in coverage at Mississippi State. Tyree Gillespie, this was a little confusing for me. I gave this a C because... Okay, even if you want to call Divine Diablo a linebacker, great. But you did pick Trayvon Merrig, and then you pick another like safety and is kind of similar to Jonathan Abram. He's a rocket. He's very linear, explosive, big hitter. Coverage play, like plays in coverage, not very frequent. So that was a little weird. I thought they could have gone in a lot of other directions, maybe interior of their defensive line after cutting Maurice Hurst, uh, maybe adding another playmaker. After losing Nelson Aguilar in free agency, they go with another safety. And and the fourth round, I mean, a top 150 pick, that's not someone that you're expecting to like sit on your practice squad for a couple seasons and then he's playing in year three. You need that, especially when you're the Raiders and you're John Gruden going into year four, you need production from that fourth round pick. Nate Hobbs from Illinois, I, I wasn't as high on him as 167 overall, their fifth round pick, uh, but I thought he had quality footwork. Not a lot of production in college, and he's not crazy long. But the rest of his athletic profile looks like an NFL player. And that he was one of the last guys that I watched um, at the cornerback spot. And I thought, hey, yeah, sixth, sixth seventh round, I, I could see this. They pick him in the fifth. They do need some cornerback help. Uh, getting Damon Arnett back will, will likely help things. Uh, but Nate Hobbs at Illinois, 5'11", almost six foot, 196 pounds, ran 4'48", 40 and a half inch vertical, three cone, well under seven seconds, 6.85, and a broad jump in the 97th percentile among corners. So he, in terms of a pro day, his tested athleticism, timed measured athleticism is very, very good. I thought his footwork was good on film. I didn't think it was that amazing. And I would have liked to see more ball production, but 167 overall, depth corner, that makes sense. And then Jimmy Morrissey, I gave this a B minus at 230 overall. Super experienced, like 2,000 plus snaps in his college career at Pittsburgh. And he's just kind of your classic seventh round center that he is unsurprisingly very quick, understanding his assignments, where he needs to be, but he's lacking severely in terms of his length and his power. I think he's going to get driven back if and when he does see the football field early. But to 
add to that offensive line is not a bad idea to lose Rodney Hudson. That that kind of hurts a lot. And I don't think Jimmy Morrison stepping in in year one and filling those shoes. But to say, hey, let's just add to the interior of this offensive line. Actually, looking at his arm length now, 32 and three-fourths inches. Not crazy short arms for being a center. 6'3", 303 pounds. Athleticism was pretty good. Three-cone drill in the 85th percentile, 20-yard shuttle, 87th. And that shows on film. I just don't know if he is powerful enough, uh, and that's in the run game and when anchoring, to be a starter. But there is a little bit of upside there. So a 230 overall, that was solid. So overall, the Raiders, I know a lot of people gave them a lot of uh, criticism for the Alex Leatherwood pick, but then they bounced back with three really good picks in a row, Trayvon Merrick, Malcolm Coons, Divine Diablo, Tyree Gillespie, Nate Hobbs, eh, especially Tyree Gillespie. But then Jimmy Morrissey, yeah, pretty good value there at 230 overall. I'm going to give them B minus B B minus to B, somewhere in that range, low 80s for the Las Vegas Raiders. The last AFC West team, the Los Angeles Chargers. And boy, did they ever have a great draft. It starts with Rashawn Slater at 13 overall. I love that pick. Uh, there was even speculation that they were going to trade up for maybe Penny Sewell to reunite him with Justin Herbert, or that they were just going to trade up for any of these tackles. They sit patiently at 13. Rashawn Slater falls into their lap. I was a little lower on Rashawn Slater um, than the masses. I would have picked Christian Derrissaw there. But the NFL loved him. A lot of draft Twitter really liked Rashawn Slater. I think he does need to get a little stronger. He's going to deal with some pretty powerful edge rushers uh, in the NFL that he didn't see very often in the Big Ten. Athleticism technique, knee bend, balance, all fantastic. He was a first-round offensive tackle all the way. Not a guard, offensive tackle, and that was a gigantic need for this team, especially when you have Justin Herbert. So that was a great pick. Then in 47 overall in the second round, Asante Samuel Jr., my number two corner. I had a top 20 grade on him. He is the cornerback that is ready to make plays now, more so than any of the other corners picked in the first round. Caleb Farley, him too, but I, I'm going to say, because he was my number one corner, the back injury, maybe that sets him back in his first month of the season. Maybe, maybe not. In terms of cleanest, most NFL ready to deal with separators, to deal with twitchiness, releases off the line, intricate routes, jerk routes, all that kind of stuff, that's Asante Samuel. Doesn't have to rely on physicality at the line to beat up a wide receiver to win. And we saw last year, Jeffrey Akuda was a amazing on an island press man corner, long, supreme athlete. And he had a terrible rookie season. Asante Samuel does not lean on the same stuff physically that Jeffrey Akuda does or JC Horn or Patrick Sertan. He's sudden. He's extremely sudden in his feet. You saw the production on the football from his freshman season on at Florida State. Awesome selection. I, this to go offensive tackle first, then get a corner instead of going like uh, Caleb Farley and then hoping to get an offensive tackle. Or a lot of people were like, hey, they're going to trade up for maybe a corner or if a corner lasts to them. If it's JC Horn, Patrick Sertan, they're going to pick him. Maybe they would have. Neither of those two players got to the Chargers at 13. 
I just like Rashawn Slater, Asante Samuel. I guess they could have maybe picked Caleb Farley with even with the back injury, my number one corner, and then gotten someone else in round two at the offensive tackle spot. But you got to fortify uh, the blocking up front with Justin Herbert first, and they did that. Then at 77 overall, I gave the selection of Josh Palmer an A. I thought he was a second-round talent. He flew under the radar at Tennessee because the quarterback play was not very good. But go back and watch the Alabama game. He got the best of Patrick Sertan in that outing. He was outstanding at the Senior Bowl. Nobody could cover him. He's got good size. The ball tracking is fantastic down the field. He's not like a rebounder, but he tracks it well. 6'1", 210, 33-inch arms, almost 10-inch hands, ran 4'5", 2", uh, the vertical wasn't great, 34 inches, broad jump pretty good, 72nd percentile, three cone under the seven second threshold. I thought his releases off the line of scrimmage were very good. His the how he snapped out of his uh the top of his route tree or his route stem, I should say, all these tree uh comparisons when we're talking about wide receivers are kind of stuck in my head here. The end of his route stem breaking off an in-breaking route very quick instant separation there and then he's i think better than you would expect for being a four five two guy in terms of getting vertical i think his acceleration is a lot better than what that four five two would indicate and he always finds the football after that trey mckinney oh and by the way they needed another wide receiver like i i was saying in in round two if they wanted to pick a receiver even in round one if one of those wide receivers dropped i would be like hey Protect Justin Herbert, but also get him some more weapons. Keenan Allen is fantastic. He's getting up there in age. Mike Williams, I think he's okay. He's he's good. I don't know if he's moving the needle a ton. And they, I think because of Justin Herbert, they got good production out of Tyron Johnson and Jalen Guyton last year. But you need to upgrade that number three, number four wide receiver spot. And they do that with Josh Palmer. I think he's a starter right away. He's like their third or fourth wide receiver out there. Then Trey McKitty at 97. Gave it a C plus because... To pick a blocker, one of the best blockers, I think him and Tommy Tremble were the two best blocking tight ends in this draft class. To use a top 100 pick on a blocking tight end, I thought was a little much, but maybe they're like, hey, this is like a, a extra tight end out there or an extra offensive lineman out there when he's really a tight end. Like, we'll use him to help protect Justin Herbert. I'm fine with that. But we just don't know how he is as a wide receiver. There was a, only a few catches on film in 2020. Uh, a couple of of his grabs were not perfect throws. And it showed that he had a pretty big catch radius, just very limited. We don't know how, how good of a wide receiver he is. And I don't think he's a tremendous athlete to consistently get open. Then one of the more fascinating back-to-back -back picks round four and round five, Chris Rumpf, the edge rusher from Duke. I gave this a B plus he's undersized, like truly undersized. And you don't really hear that from me very often because I am the biggest proponent of, Hey, everyone's getting smaller, be small. Be fast, but 6'3", 235, to be an edge rusher, that's you're that's pushing it. And I think he probably gained weight for that Duke Pro Day to get up to 235. Looked very skinny on film, but almost 34-inch arms. It's like offensive tackle length for his arms. And Chris Rumpf, famously his dad, has been an NFL position coach for a while. NFL caliber arsenal of pass rushing moves name a move. He has it. His swim move is fantastic. Swipe rip spin move. He can counter back to the inside with a crossover. He's outstanding in that realm. And I think because they have a 
Nwosu on their roster. They're fine with smaller edge rushers that are pretty refined. That's kind of the player that Nwosu was coming out of USC in 2018. But Rumpf is a little bendier, and I think there's more upside. If they can bulk him up into the mid-240s, get him close to 250, and just let him be a pass rushing specialist, I think he can be a pretty good player, pretty useful in the sub-package role. Then Brandon Jaimes from Nebraska. Blown away by his film. Watched him late with a bunch of offensive tackles that were late watches for me. Tremendous pass blocking ability. So balanced. His feet are always underneath him. His punch is very controlled. It's accurate. He's never lunging. His anchor is good. He'll battle. Counter moves don't scare him. He can slide back to the inside. I did hear some uh, rumblings after the draft that they might try him at guard. But it's, yeah, I guess 6'5", wasn't even 300 pounds at the Nebraska Pro Day. And he's got under 33-inch arms, I guess. But the three-cone, 85th percentile. Broad jump, 90th percentile. Vertical, 78th percentile. 20-yard shuttle, 91st percentile. For offensive tackles, he is a great athlete. And he was a very experienced at Nebraska. Super clean film. I loved that pick. I gave it an A. Then Nick Neiman in the sixth round, I gave it a B. Uh, if you're looking at, at just measured athleticism, Neiman was arguably the most athletic linebacker in this class. We didn't get like full workouts from everyone at the linebacker spot. But, I mean, 4-5-1. Had a three cone drill at six point six seven. I guess maybe he wasn't the most athletic because, but a, running four five one for an outside linebacker is in the ninety first percentile. For off ball, just straight up off ball linebackers, it's ninety fourth percentile. Broad jump seventy eighth percentile. The vertical is a little lower, forty seventh percentile. Twenty yard shuttle sixty eighth percentile. So he's a really good athlete. I don't know if I saw that on film. I think he is. Pretty limited to being just in between the tackles, but reads his keys well. Looks like a, a Josie Jewel 2.0. And to get him at 185 overall, I'm fine with that. Then Larry Roundtree from Missouri. He is pretty dynamic with his feet. I don't think his vision is good, though. I think he's someone that if he had better vision would have been probably a fourth or a fifth round pick instead of being a sixth round pick. And it's never a bad idea. And this is the spot where you should pick a running back late. So I didn't love that pick, didn't despise it, gave it a C plus. But there are a fair amount of bodies in that running back room with the Chargers. And then Mark Webb at 241 overall. Very fascinating prospect that he's long. He's got a chiseled frame. He looks like a linebacker. Uh, 6'1 and a half, 207, almost 33 inch arms. Ran 4.61, 36-inch vertical, 136-inch broad jump, which is crazy. There were some flashes on film down the field because he's so long and, and has range. I don't think he's great changing directions. He's really almost like someone that you would have on your roster to just cover tight ends. And to get him at 241 overall, I'm fine with that. They have a pretty good secondary there. They have Derwin James, who is the ultimate linebacker safety hybrid. Hopefully he can be healthy this year. So overall, I think to build around Justin Herbert, the Chargers did a very admirable job. Trey McKitty a little early to be a blocking tight end, but the rump pick was interesting. Brendan Jaimes from Nebraska, tremendous. 
Josh Palmer, he's a starter. He's a pretty high floor player and an important position in today's NFL, especially when you have a young quarterback on a rookie deal. And then Asante Samuel and Rashawn Slater, they are the best draft class in the AFC West, slightly edging out the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm going to give the Chargers an A minus. They did a very, very good job. Uh, All right, that'll do it for the AFC West edition of NFL Draft Grades here on the Prospect Podcast. Remember to rate, subscribe, review. NFC West is coming up on Thursday and then one more uh, week of NFL Draft Grades. And then we're going to probably transition into one episode per week. And I'll bounce back and forth between 2022 prospects. And as we're getting closer to training camp, some rookies, some second-year players, third-year players, and I'm really excited to see that can take the next step or maybe disappointing players in those first couple of seasons that can right the ship a little bit as they get into their NFL career. So once again, I'm Chris Trapasso. Thank you so much for listening to the Prospect Podcast.